My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There we go. All right, come on now. What, what book are we in, Josh? Mark. We're in Mark. Let's head to Mark. <clears throat> Let's head to Mark. And, and I'm going to do something this morning that I don't do very often. Uh, we're going to refer back a little bit to some stuff that we've studied a few years ago. Um, because I think it might help us understand some of the characters as they come on the scene in this story. So we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll start talking about a couple of different things in the Old Testament, and we'll get to verses 16 through 20, probably, and then we'll talk about some characters, and, and if we run out of time, we'll just pick it up next week, because so. Sunday's still coming. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 1. I'm reading out of the ESV, if you're following along at home. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. 
And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, if you've been in our class for a little bit, you know that I like to title series, and I stopped doing it uh, a couple of years ago. But if I had to title Mark, uh, it would be something like, hurry up, dang it. Um, because he just, he just goes at this breakneck speed over and over and over and over. And, and even through Mark chapter 1, there's so many things that Mark covers, but there are so many more. And he introduces a concept here in verse 16. If you go back and look at verse 16, it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And this word passing uh, the, in the Greek, and I've got these highlighted on your handout for you here, is a present participle active, which means it's a, it's a repeated action as you go through. So he's repeatedly passing back and forth alongside the Sea of Galilee. So he's, he's in uh, the northern portion of Israel. He's up here uh, where the Sea of Galilee, and he's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he's not, he's not going back and forth because he's lost. He's going back and forth because somebody else is lost. And they need to be found. And this, this master teacher is about to start gathering people together. And, and the order in which he does it. And, see, and you guys know I'm a math guy, right? I mean, this is just it's the way this works. Josh, you, did you know that? I like numbers. Yeah, I like numbers. And uh, the order in which he does this is actually reflective of the way the order that these guys are going to be talked about for the rest of the Gospels. So he's passing along the Sea of Galilee. And he sees Simon, and he sees Andrew. And, and these are names that, that we just, they just kind of roll off our tongues in the New Testament when we read through. Uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? They were fishermen. Yeah, they were sailors. They, they were used to being out on the water. They understood the concept of you take an action to go and to participate and to collect something and bring it back to where it needs to be. So when Jesus is looking for people to start, as Darla talked about last week, and if you missed last week's lesson, please go back and watch that. Oh my goodness, it was a master class on the kingdom of God. It was just beautiful. But when Jesus is looking for people to begin building this kingdom with, he goes to the fishermen. And, and if you 
you're wondering why he would go to fishermen because that's who he needed. He needed people who were not scared of hard work, dirty conditions, and they understood the concept of we're going to go get something that needs to be gotten, right? I mean, this is, and we look past this sometimes and go, well, yeah, they were uneducated and untrained men. Yes, that's how Luke described them in Luke, as uneducated and untrained men. But you got to remember, Luke was a doctor, right? He was the top of the academic food chain. And the fishermen were pretty much literate, not at the bottom, right? The beggars would have been at the bottom, but just like a half a step up from that would be the fishermen, right? Because literally anybody could be a fisherman. And maybe that's part of Jesus' point. That's exactly right. You're going to throw that net and you've you got to believe something's going to come out, right? So they had been doing this for years and years and years and years. So let's talk about fishing for just a second. Because uh, up in the top of your handout, the top third of the page there, it says, are there any literary or structural observations? And we've got five new characters that are introduced in the text today. So we've got Simon, we've got Andrew, we've got James, we've got John, and then Zebedee, who, if you just kind of brush through this text, really feels like he got the raw end of the deal, right? Because he had two boys, and now he kind of doesn't. Because they just left. But if you take a longer view of Scripture, boy, did Zebedee have some stories to tell. Like, I was there that day Jesus came and got my boys. And have you heard what they're doing? Like, it is amazing. I talked to some of you guys about what's going on in your lives. And one of the easiest questions to ask somebody, if you just want them to talk, is how are your kids doing? What's going on there? Everybody that has children has an answer to this question. And you can ask them again in five minutes, and it'll be a whole new answer. Because they're still thinking about them. Right? Zebedee's got this amazing story to tell. So look at this second uh, paragraph. I, I know I'm jumping around all over the handout, but I, this, is, this is exciting stuff for me. I've been, I've been waiting for about five months to get to fishing. And I love that Darla talked last week about her dad and the smells of that. And if you've ever, like, you've done, I hate fishing. Oh my goodness, I hate fishing. It stinks so bad. Like, I went and got a degree in math so I would not have to do things outside and sweat, right? Like, it's just, because you don't do math outside sweating. You do math inside on Excel spreadsheets. It's fantastic, right? It's great. So let's, let's look at the first couple of times that fishing is introduced in the Bible. So we, the, the great thing is we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the table. Just grab it, and you'll be in the same translation that I'm in. Right, wrong, or indifferent. But. All right, so Genesis chapter 1. So what happens in Genesis chapter 1? It's like everything, <laughs> it all happens. <laughs> Sorry, I had a Bible professor in one of my colleges, and he was convinced that was the right answer to what happens in Genesis chapter 1. Well, everything happens in Genesis chapter 1, right? It's like, okay. Sorry. This is theology humor. It's, it's not very good, but it's always going to be around. So he says, uh, let's pick up in verse 26. It says, then God says, uh, let us... Hashtag Trinity reference. Uh, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Have dominion over what? 
You ever notice the first thing God gave man dominion over was fish? I love that God sets this concept of fishing up in Genesis chapter 1. So when Je- it's like he's pl- we're playing t-ball for Jesus here, right? He puts the ball on the tee and Jesus comes by and the first people he picks are fishermen because God gave man dominion over that. And he's going to use that concept to then expand and blow up his kingdom. And it's just... I literally went to Bible Gateway and just put the word fish in and was blown away when Genesis 1 came back as a result. And I thought, oh yeah, why would I be surprised that God had a plan and executed it flawlessly, right? It's amazing. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 9. Flip a few pages over. It's the most beautiful sound in all the universe right there. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. So if you're wondering why you go fishing and you have to be quiet, it's because of that verse right there. God baked it into them somehow that they are scared. And the next sentence, don't miss it, into your hand they are delivered. There will be a reward for the work of going out and hunting and gathering and working and building. Isn't this beautiful? Yeah, it's amazing. I love this. I never knew there was this much about fishing in the Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I've been reading the Bible since I was like, almost four years old, and I still have to say them in order to find the right... It's just so sad. It's so sad. My mom laughed at me the last time she saw me teach because she was like, did you say the books of the Bible in order to find the right... I said, I did, yeah. Sorry. I love you, Mom. You did a great job. But <clears throat> So verse uh, 4... So, so the heading, the section heading on chapter 11, shout out what your Bible has on... Yeah, people complain, right? Which is like the the Israeli theme of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, let me paraphrase. Wah! Right? It's just, we're in the middle of the nowhere, and where do we want to go back to? We want to go back to slavery in Egypt. And verse uh, 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Okay, so let's just, it's like colossally stupid statements in the Bible. The, the reason it cost nothing is they didn't pay you because you were slaves. And they had to feed you to keep you alive to do their slave labor for you. Right? It's like of all the things to focus on. Well, they, they didn't cost us anything. Okay. And then, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. You're like, well, that's what you need to make fish taste decent, in my opinion, because I don't really like fish. But you need to add all of that. Well, not the, the melons, probably not, right? That'd be kind of weird. Um, but now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So again, once, once again, we snub our noses at what God gives us. First Kings chapter 4. 
This was an interesting one for me. First um, Kings chapter 4, this is describing Solomon. We're at the very end of the chapter. I posted something on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. There's a quote by Jen Wilkin. Uh, she has a fantastic uh, book on... Uh, the title of it is women in the women of women in the word women of the word i don't know you can scratch off the word women it's just like christians getting the word it's fantastic uh and she put something on twitter a couple weeks ago she said if you're in a bible study and you don't open the bible you're not in a bible study you're in a book club so when you come into this room we are going to open the bible and we're going to stay there uh because i don't have anything better and there's not anything better. And this, these are the words of life. So let's do this. So 1 Kings chapter 4. Uh, let's look at verse 29. And, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And when a mathematician hears that, I'm like, yeah, but like you could quantify it somehow, right? The, and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore. That's a lot. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. I mean, that feels like a, like I don't know who he was, but apparently they thought he was really a big deal, right? <laughs> so Jeopardy's Tournament of Champions was this last week, and I got a feeling like you'd have... Solomon and Ethan, right? And He-Man and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. I love that he didn't stop at 1,000. He's like, I'll just do a few more, right? Because <laughs> I would so want to quit at 1,000. 1,000 songs? It's like Chris Tomlin's got nothing on this guy, right? It's amazing. He spoke, listen to this, what did he, what did he talk about? He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. See, God associates wisdom that God gave to wisdom about this domain of things that swim around in the water. Right? So he's... It's really pretty neat. It's really pretty neat. All right, let's keep going. Nehemiah 3, 3. A little bird told me that the women's Bible study is going through uh, Nehemiah, or just finished Nehemiah, right? And you guys are like, please, dear Jesus, get us to the New Testament at some point. Uh, but Nehemiah is... All right, so I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to get my least favorite answer, and I know I'm going to get it, and you're going to be right. But Nehemiah is about what? Yes! That's exactly right. No, that, this is like a full-fledged high five. Nehemiah is about God's glory. Nehemiah is about God doing what only God could do, right? Because everybody was depressed. Everybody was discouraged. Everybody, nobody had the, oh, yes, that's exactly, it is not about building a wall. Jonah's not about a fish and Nehemiah's not about a wall. That's exactly right. All right. But when they built the wall, uh, they named certain parts of things, this and that and the other. And in Nehemiah 3, verse 3, the sons of uh, Hassanah built the what? The fish gate. And you're like, 
Why would they build the fish gate? To bring the fish in. Yes, this is where you brought the fish. Because you, do you really want the fish coming in in all the different places? I'd like to limit this, right? And just put all the stinky parts in one spot. Right? There was also a what gate? Is it, there was one gate that was actually probably stunk worse than the fish gate. The dung gate, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, wow. At least they planned ahead is all I'm saying. They planned ahead. This was a good thing, right? So this, this concept of fish in fishing was deeply, deeply ingrained in Israeli culture. Look at Psalm 8. And it's not Psalms 8. It's Psalm 8. Sorry. Grammar for the win, right? I really should not have watched the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions. So, sorry. I knew like two answers this week. <laughs> it was awful. Those people are really smart. Psalm 8. Uh, to the choir master, according to the uh, Gittita, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. You still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, how many of you wanted to sing that while I was reading? Yes. I think I heard the archers like break out into, they're like the Von Trapp family. It's amazing. They can all sing and it's just singing nonstop. It is so wonderful. It's like the most encouraging people ever. Love that you guys are in here. Feel free to break out in song at any time. You just have permission, okay, Tim? That's just blank check. There you go. Everybody knew about fishing. Everybody knew about fishing. Like, literally, look at the landscape. How can you live next to that much water and not know about fishing? Everybody knew about it. Let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 1. So passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, what? If you think about it next Tuesday, maybe pencil me on in your cat. No, 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 no. This was an imperative, follow me. It's actually uh, two different uh, Greek words. The first means come hither, and the second one means to the back. Because he, he wasn't confusing. He didn't want them to be confused about their position in this whole following him because they were not to lead yet. <laughs> uh, this was to follow. They had to learn how to be disciples. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And this word for follow here in verse 18 uh, is to specifically focus on as a disciple. And going on a little further. This is an aorist participle active. This is not a re constant repeated action. Um, 
This is, he did this once. And, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They had a nickname in the New Testament. Does anybody remember that? The son, everybody remembers this, right? Yeah. I feel like they would have been kicked out of the debate club, right? They'd just been too aggressive with what they were going to go do. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So he's got two pair of brothers. He's going to use that later on too. Backside of your handout. And some of you are thinking, oh no, what's next? All right. So you guys know we have a Sunday School website, right? OurSundaySchool.com. And all the resources of all the stuff we've studied for like a long time are there. And back in July and August of 2014... We spent uh, four weeks looking at the series that I entitled uh, 12 Apostolic Men. Now, uh, Henry Fonda was one of my favorite actors. He was in a movie a very long time ago called 12 Angry Men. Yes, if you've not seen 12 Angry Men, go watch 12 Angry Men. It is just a masterpiece of cinema uh, and writing. Um, it's really, really, really good. It's, and I watched it maybe a year and a half ago, and it's still really good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of the components of this. What I would encourage you to do is pull it up on your phone. So you've got a smartphone or a, an iPad would probably even be easier to read, but uh, pull it up on your phone, and I'm just going to walk through some of the components of this. When, when the disciples, uh, and the apostles specifically, are listed in the New Testament, does anybody know who's always listed first? Like it's literally open book, and you can look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Bueller, Bueller, yeah, Simon Peter, right? He's, uh, uh, this is what happens when I didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, Simon Peter's always listed first. And then you got three people listed next that could kind of be sort of interchangeable. Uh, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, about half the time James is listed second, about half the time Andrew's listed second, and then, and then, uh, uh, John will show up in either the third or the fourth position. Then you end up with the second kind of uh, quartet, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Uh, and then the last four, uh, James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon, uh, not uh, Iscariot, uh, Thaddeus, and then uh, Judas Iscariot. What was the date? Uh, we did July and August of 2014. Yeah, if you're on your phone, it should be right underneath the Mark series. It'll just be like one row of information. Each one of the little links has a ton of stuff behind them. Um, so how much, um, how much education did uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John have if they were fishermen? Yeah, like super basic, right? They would have been taught how to uh, read, most likely. Um, they would have been taught uh, to memorize large chunks of the Torah. Uh, and then pretty much once they got to, you know, age 9, 10, 11, 12, that's kind of it, 
right? So think back to 100 uh, to 120 years ago in the American educational system when we really kind of didn't have an American educational system. When it's just if you lived in a big town, then maybe you got some schooling, and maybe you went to middle school, and maybe you didn't. And maybe that was okay, and maybe it wasn't. But most of the time it was. Because there was something that you could go and do that looked a lot like farming or getting a job in a uh, factory. And that was kind of it. And fishing was one of those that you could just kind of go do. Um, but they were in uh, the boat with their, two of them were in the boat with their father. So what does that imply about Zebedee? He's probably a fisherman, right? Or lost. Uh, he's probably a fisherman. Um, but if these guys are fishermen, then they are not the academic elite of their universe. Uh, but there's something really interesting that the Bible uses uh, about, in Mark chapter 1, about both of them. When Jesus says, follow me, to Simon and Andrew, and immediately. And when he says, follow me, to James and John, and immediately. Obedience makes up for a whole lot of stuff in life. A whole lot. Um, and it's beautiful to see how they actually responded. They responded immediately. Um, if you think about uh, what the theology that we know from each of these, um, Andrew was kind of always bringing people to uh, Jesus. Um, we know that uh, Peter was a married man. We know that Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Um, we know that Peter was sometimes a little bit impulsive, right? And it, is it sometimes? Yeah, he's like mostly impulsive. Um, I, I, John 18.10 says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And I will ask you a question, and I will demonstrate whether or not you grew up in church or not. What was the servant's name? Malchus, yes. That, like, there's like a half a dozen questions that if you ask somebody about the Bible and they get them right, you're like, yep, you, you were drugged to church as a child. Because nobody knows this unless you hear this story over and over and over. But we also hear from Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Those words come out of his mouth, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, now, I want to make sure that you guys know who uh, James and John are and are not. So John, that's mentioned here in verse uh, 19, is not John the Baptist. Two di there's a different John. And there's gobs and gobs and gobs of Johns in the New Testament. And they can be really difficult to understand and follow. But this John that's mentioned here, he wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. So he's kind of a big deal. And did, did Peter write any books of the New Testament? Yeah, like First and Second Peter, yeah? Good. Uh, I felt like that was an easy question, so that was it's a, a question worthy of uh, daylight saving time. Um, and, and, and the James that's mentioned here is not Jesus' half-brother. That was somebody different. This is not the future leader uh, kind of of the, was it Jerusalem church? Yes? yes? Great, thank you. This is what I love about having you guys in here. Because I'm like, I think that's right. Yes, it's like 19 amens. It's great. Um, so, so I want to make sure we understand who these folks are because we see them over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
Now, there's something interesting about Andrew. Uh, flip over to John chapter 1. I want to show you something interesting about Andrew. Because you may remember this. You may not. You probably do. So John 1 verse 35. So this is John's take on something that we've read in uh, Mark. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? I love these penetrating questions Jesus would ask. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Did, okay, so is that an answer to the question that was asked? Not really. She's <laughs> kind of annoying. It is kind of random, right? <laughs> it's like, what are you looking for? Well, where do you live? <laughs> when you say it like that, it's almost a little bit creepy, right? <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. So he said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, do you know how long they've been waiting to say this? Hundreds of years. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus immediately renames him. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's gorgeous. So you see, Andrew, he's just going and he's bringing people to Jesus. And this is kind of what he does. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful history. All right, so, so why do we concern ourselves in the New Testament so much with the apostles? Um, well, they had a job to do, and Jesus gave them several specific things to do, uh, but they were witnesses of the resurrection. Uh, they saw Christ before he was crucified. Uh, they saw him after he was crucified, um, and they enabled the story that was told, that was true, to have additional credibility as a result of their testimony. Um, and then Jesus gave them authority to go and to make disciples, to teach, to baptize, to, baptize, to teach. Um, and he told them the very last command that he said. What was his last command? Anybody remember? It's in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What was the last command? And how do we, sum, like, what's the one word that, like, summarizes it? No. It is absolutely, completely, and totally the wrong answer. That was not Jesus' last imperative. Jesus' last imperative was the word lo. It was a command to behold I am with you always. I've never heard a preacher get this right, ever. But the last imperative in the Great Commission is behold, because it's going to get ugly. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be bad days. But when that happens, behold, 
He has not left us. And that is enough. It is stunningly beautiful. Now, that doesn't negate the go. We're still to go, <laughs> right? Some of you are like, my whole world is shocked right now. I have, I have that tattoo, so you shouldn't have to. <laughs> like, behold. And I love that that's what Andrew did. See, John the Baptist had so trained his disciples so well that when he identified the Messiah, they left him and followed Jesus. Like, that is a, that is a really good teacher. Like, don't, like, go. It was absolutely beautiful. So, I wanted to spend today introducing us to some of these characters because we're going to reference them as we go through Mark a, a few, you know, dozen times. Uh, and it's important to know who the characters are in the story that we are reading. So next week, if you look at the bottom of your handout, uh, toward the bottom-ish, our plan next week, we will start with verse 21. Woohoo! Uh, we are currently on a trajectory of about five years. Uh, we, will, we will pick up the pace. Of, we may not. I don't know. We, we might. We might not. I, <laughs> I don't want to lie. Uh, but, but hopefully you have uh, enjoyed this. I am going to ask you a question next week. I will put it on the, our Sunday School Facebook group. Uh, the question I am going to ask you next week that we're going to start spending just a little bit of time each week answering. Brian asked this one the last three Wednesday nights that I've been there. He says, what is something God is doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? And I... I think that's a really interesting question. What is something God is doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Um, and hopefully this question will help us from being Pharisees and just being proud of the fact that we know who Malchus was because that's a dangerous place. So uh, that's the Sunday school lesson for today. So your weekly update is on your table. Uh, if you guys will lean in, engage uh, pray as a table. Once you are finished praying as a table, uh, you are dismissed to go into the sanctuary to behold and remember that he has not left us, and it is good. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.